And so we're here this morning um, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark um, to sit at the feet of Jesus, our Lord, and take in from him. This morning's message is, uh, as we consider uh, verses 2 through 13 in Mark chapter 9, um, is uh, the, the main theme is to listen to him, to listen to the voice of God. And we're going to see that from verses 2 all the way through 13. And this is something that we ought to be um, growing in, our discernment of God's voice. In fact, it was uh, young Samuel that as he heard the Lord's voice two times, two times he didn't discern that it was the Lord's voice. But then on that third occasion, he was told by his mentor, the person who was discipling him, oh, okay. It's, it's the Lord. When he calls you again, answer in this manner. Here I am. And he referred to him as himself as the Lord's servant, right? The Lord's servant desires to hear from the master because it's from the master that he hears instructions. The whole purpose of the servant is to honor the master, so we'll see how it is that Peter, as he once again uh, speaks, that he is corrected by the Lord, but he is learning how to listen to the voice of God. And so the whole theme of this section of Scripture and, and throughout, really, is learning how to listen to him. Let's begin by reading uh, Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, And after six days, Jesus uh, took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what, what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Heavenly Father, as we go into this time of studying your word, Father, I pray that your spirit would give us understanding, or that our hearts would be prepared or to receive your word. Lord, that as we consider this event and the things that transpired on the mountain, Lord, that the study of your word might, Lord, help us to better understand what glorifies you. Lord, that we would be witnesses and testify of who you are. To others that not only we would bless and honor you by the manner in which we live our lives, but also in the way others come to surrender their lives to you and know salvation through Jesus Christ because of the true testimony that we give, because, our depth, because of our depth of understanding and your spirit working. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So it was, uh, it's been six days. It's, uh, it was six days later that Jesus now is going up the mountain with these three disciples. Six days earlier, he had told his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus takes three of his disciples, that is Peter, James, and John. He takes them up this high mountain where he is transfigured before their very own eyes. And in that moment when he is transfigured, Elijah and Moses appear. Not only did they appear, not only did they see Jesus transfigured, but they also heard the voice of the Father. Some believe that this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said in chapter 9 and verse 1. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Makes me think of that, but it also makes me think of Acts chapter 1. As Jesus told them what was to come. How it was that the Spirit of God would come upon him. And indeed, the Spirit of God came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And empowered them to do the work of the ministry. To go out and witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the event that we're looking at this morning is truly remarkable. An event that astonished Jesus' disciples. And we see here that it's described as even being terrifying to these disciples. And yet, in the midst of it all, Peter finds a way to speak. Again, Mark records this happening six days after Peter confessed Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus declaring, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he goes on to say in chapter 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Talk about making statements of deity. There can be no mistaking the fact that Jesus declared that he was God. And Peter makes a confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus confirms that he is the Savior and will come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Any religious leader, in fact, we know that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, they all knew exactly what it was that Jesus was saying, what he was declaring. And Jesus tells them that some who, whom he was speaking to in that time would see the kingdom of God, God's glory. And then in this very moment, Peter, James, and John, they turn and they see God's glory. They see Jesus transfigured before their very eyes. And then they turn and they see Elijah and Moses. It, it baffles the mind. It's beyond our comprehension. How it is that one thing is to recognize Jesus and know that he has been transfigured, that his glory is before us. But Elijah and Moses and recognizing who they were? Truly amazing. And then to top it all off, as Peter speaks, and we're going to talk a little bit about what he says, the Father, the glory of God descends upon them and, and the Father speaks. What would you be thinking at this time? Would you be able to speak? Well, Peter was able to speak. Therefore, proving 
that we can all speak in the most inappropriate times. When we ought to be listening, we're talking. But how would you be, what would you be thinking at this time? How would you respond? How would this impact your faith? You see, there are times when as we go through Scripture, we ourselves need to really think about our own lives. Because there are these events, these circumstances that the Lord has allowed us to participate in. And really the one thing that we ought to be doing is giving ourselves to the authority of God's word above all. There's a lot that was happening at this very moment. There's fear. There was the feeling of being overwhelmed. They were astonished. They were amazed. All of those things all together. But the one thing that mattered is for them to be keenly aware of what the Lord desires. To be able to discern what to say or what not to say. What to listen for, who to listen for in that very moment. Listen, the disciples may have been hard of understanding at this point. But at the same time, their questions end up providing more information for us today to know what has been and what is being fulfilled in Christ and what is to come in order for us to know with full confidence that Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior, and we are to hold His Word above all, listening to Him in learning how to follow Him better and better as we get to know God's Word and apply it to our lives. You know, Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, according to John 2, 5, referring to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God the Father says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What the disciples experienced on the mountain served as further evidence of Jesus' deity. And we see evidence of the fact that we tabernacle, that he desires to tabernacle to commune with us. Who is man that you would be mindful of us? And yet the Lord, know this, the Lord is mindful of you. The Lord loves you. He demonstrated it. By sending his son to die on the cross for you, he already proved it. Whenever you sit there and question that, what you do is you discount what is already true. Therefore, we respond to that by the manner in which we live our lives. The hope and the faith that we express in God's promises. This is all just further evidence of who Jesus is. God the Father confirming this and commanding the disciples to listen to him, to follow him, just as Jesus had said six days earlier. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who is before us? Who, who are we here for? H- have we really considered that? Who are we to listen to? You see, I uh, have to say that we, we are inclined to listen to ourselves and to listen to those voices who agree with us. Don't you surround yourself with people that will simply affirm you? Sometimes we believe that when the enemy is persistent with us. Sometimes we even use that as the voice of God. Saying, I, can't just, I just can't shake this. I, I can't shake this. This has got to be from the Lord. And yet when you match it up to the word, it just doesn't line up, Right? We need to pay attention above all. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Just as Peter was humbled. We're going to read about it as we read it. We're going to study it a little bit more. We are inclined to surround ourselves with people who will affirm us. Be convinced in our own hearts and justify sometimes what we're leaning toward or what we're inclined to do and not do because of the feelings that we're feeling or the thoughts that we have in our minds, and oftentimes they're just undisciplined. It's a bottom. Discipline is lacking. If it's lacking in society at large, it's also lacking within the church, and we need to be disciplined. Have we truly yielded to the authority of God's word? May his transfiguration serve to encourage our transformation according to his word as sons and daughters who know how to follow him, reflect his glory, and bless him. After all, we are his people, right? Let's learn how to listen to him. In verses 2 through 4, we see how it is that God's glory is shown, it's revealed. Again, verse 2 says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were chosen by Jesus. We can debate on why it was that Jesus chose Peter, James, and John. I know that some commentators, they say, well, they're the ones that uh, were more prone to get into trouble, and therefore he had to bring them in really close. I don't see that. Well, Well, we do see Peter a little bit, right? And then John does brag a little bit about himself, how it was that he was quicker to the tomb than And he was considered, or he did describe himself as the beloved of the Lord, right? James and John were called sons of thunder. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, who isn't prone to do things, to fall short of the glory of God, right? So we don't know exactly why it was, but they were used mightily and have been and still are used mightily by the Lord. So Peter, James, and John were chosen by Jesus to be his closest disciples who experienced a number of events directly with Jesus, intimately with him. In fact, the Apostle John, one of the ones, one of the three that were on this high mountain, Wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Listen, for anyone who's been dragged into church time and time again, and you hear the gospel over and over again, and mom or dad or sister, brother, friend, Whoever it is continually is placing the gospel before you. It's for this reason. See, you and I, for the believer, we've come to know, see and taste how good the Lord is. He has forgiven us of our sins. He has given us the hope of heaven. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our hope. He is our goal. He is our prize. And we want you to know, just as John wrote in verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It says, the, the heavens rejoice over one sinner that repents. You don't think that the church rejoices over one sinner that repents? You see, the enemy dupes us into believing, deceives us into thinking certain things to stop us to, to not make it to the point to where we simply acknowledge and believe and confess that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God who died for my sins. There's, there's something that we allow to get in the way. And yet, it is the Father's joy to see people come to salvation. Second Peter 3 9, I have no, or um, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach, should reach repentance. That, that's his desire, that none should perish. And for the believers, oh, I know that for John, for Peter, for James, as they came to know who truly Jesus was, they wanted their joy to be complete as more people came to salvation. You see, the whole point of their testimony is not simply to ensure the gaining of knowledge, right? For the sake of accumulating knowledge of, of the faith, right? So you can argue your faith but rather for the sake of exercising their faith in Jesus Christ and knowing salvation. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. And we see ourselves and others surrendering our lives to Him and knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. The fellowship of believers is what they desired and that and it was in the, the fellowship of the believers that they found joy to participate in. And this is exactly what is happening here on this mountain as Jesus reveals that he is God. Not just so that they would know, but that they would know why it is that he's there. This was all to confirm who he is and that his word is secure as they experience his transfiguration. And again here, God's confirmation. I love it. Mark got straight to the point. What's the bottom line? They went up to the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them. I mean, he got right to it, right? Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the high mountain where he was transfigured before them. Matthew chapter 17 verse 2 records it this way. And he was transfigured before them, 
and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Luke chapter 9, verse 29, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Again, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. Like, how can you describe what is happening? Well, the closest thing to it, hmm, the sun. Have you ever looked into the sun? I know they tell you not to, and don't do it. Bright as the sun. radiant. What they saw was intensely white. Like the sun, white as light. Their Lord transfigured before their very eyes. These words fell short of really describing Jesus in this moment of being transfigured. Now, this was not a light that shone down from heaven, but rather the radiance of his glory that was veiled within him that came from the inside. You see, it's what he already possessed. It's who he is. What really is amazing is how Jesus restrained his glory. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He did this for you. Jesus had just told them that he was to suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and after three days, rise again from the grave. In light of that, that, they now not only see his radiance, a glimpse of his glory, but they also see two men, Elijah and Moses, with him. And we see it described that they were talking with Jesus. Luke chapter 9 speaks of the details of that conversation. In Luke chapter 9, verse 30, it says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Uh, so they weren't just chatting about light things. You know, how's the weather? Not light things. But about Jesus' death, his departure. Or his exodus. Again, I remind you of what Jesus told his disciples in the previous chapter. How it was that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He told them this as it says here plainly. It's really hard to miss. And here he is transfigured on this mountain, and then speaking of those things with Elijah and Moses. He already told them what the path of his departure would be, the cross. And with this, Jesus was showing that his resurrection was sure. He was literally speaking with two men who were alive in glory, and he himself was transfigured. You see, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And here's proof. Elijah and Moses. There was nothing dead about them. And there would be nothing dead about Jesus, even after the crucifixion. Therefore, as he said, you're following me, not now, not only now, but forever. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to do a work and fulfill the will of the Father. These were men who had died and gone to glory. Well, Moses did. Moses died, right? Elijah didn't. He was snatched up by the Lord. But both had departed, experienced the exodus of the believer, and they were in glory. 
You know how many years earlier Moses had died? 1,400. Apparently, he is well. Elijah? 900. Think about that. And Jesus, well, 2,000 years later, he is alive. He is coming back for us. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will fulfill his word completely. Our Lord is risen. He is victorious over sin and has conquered the grave. And this is what they were talking about. While Jesus' glory is exposed and while he's talking with Elijah and Moses, we hear another voice. Peter. It's Peter. He begins to speak. And Peter said to Jesus, verse 5, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So God's glory is shown and God's command is given. Let's first consider Peter's reaction to this amazing experience and what he said. Peter addressed Jesus, calling him master, teacher, rabbi, is what he was referring to him as. And made the statement, it is good that we are here. I'm glad you said that, Peter, because I didn't know. Was this a correct statement? Yes. Yes. If the Lord had led them up to see his transfiguration and to see Elijah and Moses, then it was indeed good that they were there because it was the Lord's will and desire that they be there to witness this firsthand. It wasn't good because Peter said it was good, but because Jesus determined it was good. Jesus had a reason for bringing them up the mountain. All Peter could do is acknowledge and agree. We need to discern what is good according to the Lord and then confess it. And that's what Peter was doing. He was simply confessing that this was good. Yes, indeed, it is good. But then Peter's next statement is, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, let's Stay here and, and, and commune together and tabernacle together. Let's stay here in fellowship with those who are in glory. Let us just remain here. Oh, the experience of being overwhelmed with God's goodness, His grace, His spirit we are inclined to just stay. Let's just stay right here. You know, we're going to be, uh, we're coming up on a night of worship. It's during that night that, you know, we're, we're singing God's praises. We're worshiping him. May the Lord fill us with the spirit. May the Lord anoint that time of worship. And I don't know how many times during a night of worship, an afterglow, you know, I, I, my desire is, let's just stay here. How many times have you said in your own heart, oh, I, I could just keep worshiping. Just keep going, worship team. You guys know a million songs, right? Let's just keep going. <laughs> May the Lord give you strength to do more and more. No, we desire to just like, Let's just stay right here. Listen, this is nothing compared to what awaits us. Nothing. It's a time of being refreshed, a time of being built up, of being encouraged, of maybe realigning ourselves with who God is and who we ought to bless and honor and glorify. 
But the time that we literally tabernacle with God in his glory will far exceed anything that can be done here on earth. And so Peter, of course, his desire was, let's just stay here. Three tabernacles, three tents. Let's just remain here. But Jesus had just told them about his suffering, his death and his resurrection. It's coming. But again, Peter saw this and wanted to stay. But did he speak in that moment a good word? No. He did kind of mess up going back to chapter 8, verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What was he doing then? Well, verse 32 says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He didn't go very far also. Because Jesus was able to turn to the disciples and say this. Right? Peter was not in the right place then. In fact, Jesus told him. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why was that? Because he was preventing, he wanted to prevent him from going to the very place that the Father had sent him to go to. That was the cross. It was not a good word because Peter, it is described as this is how he said it. He says, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. They were filled with fear. Peter spoke what he did not know, and he spoke out of fear. Fear is is an emotion, correct? Hey, let's all stand up and greet one another. Yeah. It's an emotion. Um, Do you experience emotions? We all do, right? Do you trust them? No? Nope, right? Absolutely not. We don't. We, we don't trust our emotions. Do we pay attention to them? Yeah, absolutely. But the Lord has called us to be, again, disciplined, right? To take each thought captive and then subject them to the authority of God's word. And so we must take those things that we're feeling in the moment, that the sooner we can recognize them for what they are, and the more we know about God's word, the quicker we can yield those things to the Lord and then allow that to direct our path and govern our emotions even, whatever they may be, so that we may glorify and honor the Lord. Because in this moment, he didn't know what to say. And he spoke anyway. He was filled with fear, and he spoke anyway. His words were undisciplined, clouded by his emotion of fear, and he spoke foolishly. Luke chapter 9, verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Oh, didn't they do this in the Garden of Gethsemane? They're going to do it again. They were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. So they were snoozing, napping, kind of half in and half out. Amazing, though, because they were with Jesus. He had led them up the mountain. And even in that moment, this is why we need to understand, hey, listen, we're not far from Peter, James, and John. We really aren't. That's what we need to... Wake up. Don't think so much about yourself that you've got it all figured out. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because we can be the same as Peter. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. He spoke out of fear and he spoke what he did not know, what he shouldn't have. Why were Peter's words foolish? Because the suggestion to build three tabernacle, tabernacles placed Jesus on parallel with Elijah and Moses. 
Jesus was not just another prophet. He wasn't even a greater prophet than those two. But he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. When we speak out of emotion, we need to learn to check that and see if it is true. In that very moment, or if someone brings it to our attention. By the way, we need to be able to receive. Listen, Christianity is a faith of confrontation. All right? Let's put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants and learn to receive that confrontation from others. Uh, That is uh, a gentle exhortation or rebuke or admonition, correction. It comes in... um, different forms could be a question is that really how you should be responding or what you should be saying does that line up with God's word when we speak out of emotion we need to learn to check whatever it is and see if it is true if it is true then hey you're confirmed and you're continue on Because we need to see if it is true according to God's word. To understand what is true and then apply it. We may even withdraw because we feel it's too much. And yet, is that emotion correct? Check with God's word. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Opinion. Opinion is God's truth is sometimes, oftentimes, not the same. Secondly, let's consider what God said. They saw the transforming glory in Jesus, and now the disciples see the cloud of God's glory overshadow them, and Peter is corrected with a simple and direct word from God the Father for the purpose of transforming him. Romans 12, 2, after all, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, you see, did not affirm Peter's words. As confident and as bold as he was, and as his words were, God did not affirm Peter. God did not confirm that Jesus was on the same level as Elijah and Moses, as Peter had implied by his statement. Instead of speaking out of nervousness and fear, Peter should have simply observed and listened to Jesus. This was declared by the Father. The cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Simple. Listen to Him. Right? You see, this shows that Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and they were one. Did Peter learn this lesson? Kind of curious, right? Did he, did he learn the lesson? Well, he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the, by, uh, the uh, majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He learned. He listened to the Lord. When the Father said, listen to him, he understood even through his mistakes. And we were better off for it because it is described in greater detail. So listen to him. God's glory is shown. God's command is given. And finally, God's word is unfaltering. 
Verse 9 says, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. It's interesting to note that as amazing as this experience was, the only event that truly transformed Peter, James, and John was not this mountaintop experience. You know what it was? Being born again. It proves that having experiences and knowing about God is not enough. What's changed your life? Is there any fruit of being born again? Or do you know you just know about God? You know, because what is truly transforming is having a completely new heart. Being born again of the, of the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus in this moment, he knew that they didn't fully understand. But they would look back one day and see it all for what it truly was and what he was saying. And with this, Jesus told them not to tell anyone of this until the Son of Man was resurrected. Until I rise again from the grave. Tell no one of this. And at that time, they would speak... Once that occurred and they were filled with the Spirit, they would speak with understanding. Verse 10 says, So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. I find it interesting, again, that they are still questioning this rising from the dead might mean, what, what, what it might mean. What is it that he's speaking of? So they kept it in their own hearts. And then they went on. They asked Jesus a question about Elijah and what was prophesied about him. And Jesus very clearly tells them that he had come in reference to John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah. He was a type of Elijah. In Matthew chapter 17, in verse 12, it says, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. You see, they were referring back to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And Elijah will return, as we see in Revelation chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, with the two witnesses, with the reference of the two witnesses. But this is regarding Jesus' second coming, not his first. So Jesus does understand. He does address their question, but in the second half of verse 12, Jesus brings them back to his suffering and his path to the cross. He asks them a question. He says, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? You see, the foolishness of the cross. Oh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It always comes back to the cross. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And this is Jesus bringing them back to the cross. The power of the shed blood of Christ. It's coming. I'm going to atone for all sins. And all who believe on Jesus Christ will be saved. You see, God the Father had just told them, listen to my beloved son. And now not only did Jesus further confirm that God's word is certain as it pertains to Elijah, but that he was going to the cross as well, and that's just as certain. Do we believe that again? Who did they see? They saw Moses and Elijah. Moses, he lived and he walked on the earth 1,400 years earlier. Elijah, 900 years earlier. They saw Jesus transfigured. They heard the voice of the Father from heaven. Do you now begin to understand this? This is, this is all. The, the word of God is true. It is sure. It is certain. Do you believe that? 
God's word is secure. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The word of God is certain. Listen again, John 1 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This whole revelation gives proof that the dwelling place of God is indeed with men, that that is what he has desired, and what he has made possible through the sacrifice of the Son. And he will tabernacle with us one day. How can we be assured of that? Well, have we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ? Have we repented of our sins? Have we cried out to the Lord and asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior? And finally, in Philippians, and I'll leave you with this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Who thought, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. Heavenly Father, your word is sure. Your glory awaits us for those who have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior. You have secured for us salvation by grace through faith in Him. And I pray, Lord, that we would, oh Lord, we would make our election sure. Lord, that we would be confident in the fact that we do belong to you, that we have surrendered our lives completely. We are born again of the Spirit. We have been sealed for the day of redemption. Lord, that we have basically surrendered our lives to Jesus as Lord. Lord, that the confession of our sins, Lord, that we have fallen short of your glory is, is a a personal cry of surrender to you. Acknowledging that we can't do it in and of ourselves. Lord, nothing we can do, nothing we can say will ever earn us a spot in heaven. It is only when we completely yield ourselves to Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that as we surrender our lives to him, that we may testify to others of that which we have come to know ourselves. Not only will the church rejoice, oh, but all the angels in heaven will rejoice over one sinner that repents. I pray that many repent and there is much rejoicing here within the church and in heaven. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.